Oh man, what a way to start service. Can we give a hand to the band for leading us today? Thank you guys. Oh man, I love starting off just singing uh, to the Lord as we get going today. If you are new at Crossroads, welcome to Crossroads Church. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads Church, and I want to welcome those of you uh, joining us online at Crossroads Live, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you may be at uh, today. We are in the final week of our series uh, that we've been calling Goodbye 2020. And uh, 2020, if we were honest, has not gone the way that any of us planned, has it? I mean, for me personally, it was just a year ago on January 1st of 2020 that I became the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And then that January, we had this like blow the top off amazing party for our former senior pastor, Kim. All was going good. And then Friday the 13th happened in March, right? And COVID kind of brought like the world to a standstill. Now, I was on my way to the SEC tournament in Tennessee, college basketball, uh, when all of this started started to happen. I jumped on a plane to get back as fast as I could. And as I was on that plane, I was thinking, contemplating of really the hardest decision that I would ever have to make. And that was to shut down this church. That never before in the 60 years of Crossroads' history had the church ever, never had Sunday morning worship. That I was the first pastor to make that decision. And in the nine months following, you know, we try to be adaptable and flexible. The staff has been innovative, but if we were being honest, we're just making things up. We're just trying to figure it out that nobody has ever been trained to do what we're doing. And the reality is, is that we've all dealt with that, haven't we? That all of us have dealt the best that we could with the hand that we've been given, the roller coaster of this last year, and all of the emotions that come with us. And while many of us looked at January like 1st, 2021, as like the new, you know, this new season, like this hope that's on the horizon, the reality is, just 17 days in, it didn't take us long to figure out that not much has changed with the changing of the calendar, has it? I mean, all of the same emotions that we faced in 2020, things like anger and fear and loneliness, they're still present in 2021. And that's really the whole premise of this series, is what if 2021 doesn't bring the new, doesn't bring the expectations, doesn't bring the hope that we are all looking for? What if 2021 is more of the same and just like 2020? What do we do with that? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've tried to answer that question. And Pastor Chris has done a, a great job of taking us to the scriptures and helping us see where, where God is at in our loneliness, where God comes alongside us in our fear. And today, as we jump into it, we're going to talk about the anger that resides in so many of us. See, the truth of the matter is, is that you and I have both watched over the last five years the world become angrier and angrier, haven't we? And maybe you even feel it yourself. Maybe you feel it over the last year, the effects of the coronavirus on our society. Perhaps for you, the anger is starting to bubble up within you. Perhaps it was the death of a loved one or a lost job, the loss of freedom. That maybe the anger is bubbling in you because of the social tension that we faced through the summer and the fall with, with racial injustice from the burning of the major cities in the United States. Maybe for you, your, your anger is starting to pull over because of the political polarization that we're facing in our nation right now, from maybe the way that the elections were handled all the way to, to the assault on Capitol Hill last week. There's so much anger in the world, and it's deeply, deeply alarming to me. 
It's been devastating for, for me to sit back and to watch our anger devolve us to this level as a culture to the point where now even the church has descended into the hatred and the vitriol and the division that plagues so much of our culture. And in a season like this, the culture doesn't need, a, an, uh, doesn't need a reflection of itself. It doesn't need an echo of itself. It needs an alternative to itself. And so the question that's before us is how do we deal with the anger that's within us and the anger that's within others without allowing it to destroy us? Because it's something that we all struggle with, isn't it? It's a part of our everyday lives. And yet the good news for us is that when it comes to the Bible, the Bible doesn't just leave us hanging there. That the Bible isn't, isn't just like moved or apathetic towards what we're going through in this world. That the Bible actually leans into even charged feelings like anger. And so if you've been a part of this series over the last couple of weeks, we've been specifically looking at one story in the Old Testament. We'll find it in 1 Samuel 19 today, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bible there. And we're looking at a specific story in the life of two men, of Saul and David. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story, let me give you like the Cliff Notes version of the story, that Saul is the very first king of Israel, that God anointed Saul to be king over all of his people. And for the first couple of years, Saul's reign was going really well, that he did the things that God said, that he saw great success, and everything was good in the kingdom of Israel. But over time, because of some selfish decisions, some bad decisions, eventually decisions that were against the commands of God, eventually over time, God comes to Saul and says, Saul, you're no longer going to be my king. You're no longer going to rule over the people. In fact, your kingdom ends with your life. That no longer will your, your sons or your daughters rule in your reign and, and continue on your kingdom. That that ends with you. And almost immediately we're told that King Saul felt the presence of God leave him. That all of a sudden Saul was on his own. And God goes to a prophet named Samuel and he says, Samuel, I want you to find the next king of Israel and I want you to anoint him. And so Samuel goes out and he does that. He finds a shepherd boy named David. He anoints David as the next king of Israel and almost immediately David finds himself in the service of the current king, Saul. And their relationship is great. That David is this mighty warrior and Saul is, is benefiting from, from David's wisdom when it comes to war. That David was wise beyond his years. That David was great with the music, with, with the harp and the lyre. He would play music for the king and it would calm his soul. Like their relationship with, was great. But over time, the more successful that, that David became, the more angry Saul became. And eventually, as, as David's success grew, Saul became angry to the point of vengeance to wanting to kill David. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 19, starting in verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I'll tell it to you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great salvation for Israel. You saw it, Dad, and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. 
But Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all of these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Some times passed, verse 8, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. The success of David comes again, verse 9. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. He sought in the house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre for him. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and he escaped that night. Verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. We read the story and we see the anger. We see the anger of Saul's life. We see the anger devolve into bitterness, into hate, and that bitterness and hate become vengeance to the point where he wants to kill an innocent man. And while admittedly probably most of us are not here today wanting to kill someone in our life, at least I hope not, many of us, many of us are probably, probably or there's a fair amount of us who have felt a great deal of anger this last year. And for most of us, probably more than we would like to admit, that anger has devolved into hate, into bitterness, lodging its way into our souls. And we know it's not good. I mean, we, we walk around and we say things like, like, I used to be so happy. Like I was at peace, I was calm, I was just happy-go-lucky all the times in my life, and now I'm just so angry. I don't know where it comes from. We know it's not good, but we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with the anger that resides in us. And so today, that's what this is all about. So I want to go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to dive into the topic of anger and see what God has to say about it. So would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we come before you. Lord, knowing, Lord, that the anger that resides in us, this tension that we have needs resolve. God, that we need your peace, that we need your calm in our lives. And so, Lord, we look to you today, asking you to attune our ears, Lord, and to, to open our eyes to what you have for us, Lord, to understand this emotion that dwells within us. Lord, so that we might be a people, Lord, who bring hope into this world. We need you today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, when it comes to anger, what you need to know about anger is that anger is an emotion. And like every emotion, it's a signal of something that's going on within us. That's what emotions are. They're simply signals that are telling us that something's going on in our, in our bodies. Let me give you a couple of examples of the emotions that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. That when it comes to loneliness, loneliness is signaling to us that we're, that we're not connected. That every single one of us, you, me, all of us, we were connected. We were meant to have connection with one another. That human touch, human connection is important to our survival. And when you start to feel the, the feelings, the emotion of loneliness, what loneliness is saying is that you're without community, that you don't have connection. You need to find that when it comes to fear. Fear is the signal to us that we are in imminent danger, like danger is around the corner. Now with fear, fear can be very good, right? If a bear is chasing you, fear says run, and you run. But fear can also be bad. Fear can be bad if it, if it causes you to stay in bed all day because you can't face what might happen to you in this world. See, every emotion that we have is just a signal that's signaling something that's going on in our bodies. So when it comes to anger, anger is simply the emotion that's signaling that an injustice 
has happened in your life or in the world. That's what anger is. That anger is, is the perception that an injustice is happening to something or someone you care deeply about. That whenever you feel someone or something that you love is being threatened, that's anger. And it is a powerful emotion. It's been said that anger is the dynamite of your soul. And how true is that? That it absolutely has the power to destroy. It's destructive. It's explosive. And we've all witnessed someone, right, who has lost their cool, blew their top, come unglued. Visible examples of someone's, someone's dynamite of the soul exploding into real life. And we don't have to look very far. That we, can, we all have stories, don't we? of the explosive nature of anger, of somehow someone like lost their cool in your presence and just destroyed relationships and destroyed like, like connections that you had with them. And while all of us are well aware, well aware of the explosive nature of, of anger externally, very few of us ever comes to terms with the explosive nature of anger internally inside of us. See, when it comes to the inside of us, when it comes to anger within us, whether you're holding it back, or whether it just is, is living within you, that the medical community has well-documented anger's real like issues when it comes to the heart. That when it comes to your heart, that anger is more stressful on your heart than anxiety, sorrow, even extreme conditioning. You want a one-way ticket to heart problems, to heart failure? Go the route of anger. This explosive nature of anger is why the Bible gives so much warning to us about the anger that's within us. I mean, just listen to a couple of these verses. Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Psalm 37. Refrain from your anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 29, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Ecclesiastes 7, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. See, the anger of our lives can be explosive, and those explosions can be destructive. When we get at our worst in anger, evil spews from us, and we see the folly, don't we? We see the folly of anger. In fact, if we look back at Saul's story in 1 Samuel chapter 19, we can see his folly, and we can see how destructive anger is in his life. That the anger that he has in his life is absolutely destroying his relationship with David. Later on in the story, it absolutely destroys his relationship with his kids. A little bit later on in the story, it leads him to, to not be able to lead Israel well. Eventually, worst of all, it destroys his relationship with God. That we can see over and over again in Saul's story, the destructive pattern of anger and how it wreaks havoc on his life. And we sit back and we look at it and we go, it's foolish. Like that's the stuff of folly. But come on, truth be told, we don't need to look 3,000 years in the past to know the folly of anger, do we? That we can look at our own lives. And every single one of us, if we had time today, we could go around the room here, we could go in online, and we could go down the path and say, when is a time that your anger has gotten out of control in such a way that you destroyed a relationship? And every single one of us could raise our hand and share a story. We don't have to go 3,000 years in the past. And yet the reality of, of anger and it being in our own lives, when anger goes bad, we know its power. And it's why we so tr try so hard to like dismiss it actually happening in our lives, right? Like we say things like, 
like, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Like, I just need to let some stuff off my, off my chest. Like, I just, need to, I just need to cool down for a moment. We constantly try to hide the anger that's going on in our souls, excusing the emotion that's signaling to us that we are perceiving an injustice in the world. And your inability, your inability to admit your anger in your own life will eventually lead you to anger being an addictive substance of your life. Anger always begets more anger. And again, every single one of us could go around and share a story of somebody in our lives who's just angry all the time, and it seems like they feed on anger like most of us live on oxygen. And yet as destructive as anger can be, the Bible doesn't say that anger in and of itself is bad. It's an emotion. And emotions can be either good or bad. Listen to this verse out of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. It says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Now Solomon, who's regarded as the most wise person who's ever lived, wrote this. When we read this verse, what is Solomon saying here? He says, whoever is slow to anger is wise. Now, if you're in the building here at Thornton, you can go ahead and raise your hand. If you're online, just hit the heart button. But show of hands, how many of you want to be wise? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, every single one of us wants to be wise. We all want to be wise. Solomon says the path of wisdom for you is in the slowness of anger, to which we go, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I thought good and godly people, wise people, never got angry. What's the deal with this? Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, when it comes to the way that we see the Bible, we don't always read it the way that we should. The Bible never says don't be angry. You can search all of scriptures and you'll never find don't be angry. Instead, what you will find is this, be angry, but in your anger do not sin, Ephesians chapter four. That whoever is slow to anger will be wise, Proverbs chapter 14. That, that whoever, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, Proverbs chapter 16. See, when it comes to the Bible's perspective on anger, it rejects the extremes and it lands us in the middle. Listen, when it comes to the Bible's understanding on anger, to never be angry, according to the Bible, is a sin. That if you're never angry about anything, it means that you are indifferent to the injustices of this world. And the Bible says that's sinful. But on the other hand, in what the Bible calls hot-temperedness, the Bible says that is equally as sinful. And so the Bible rejects the extremes and it moves us to the middle and it says the way of the wise is slow to anger. Now the reason that this messes with our minds is because we think, we think we've been taught in culture that, that uh, anger is the opposite of love. That in the church world, in culture, we've been taught that anger is the opposite of love. But it's simply not true. Hear me out on this. That anger, anger is actually a fulfillment of love. See, if you never get angry about anything, 
then you don't actually love anything. If you love something or someone, and you see that something or someone threatened, and there's only indifference in your heart, there's only apathy in your heart, then you're not really in love. I mean, dads, come on. When you see something happen to your baby boy, your baby girl, where they're being threatened by, by someone else or themselves or where they're facing an injustice in this world, it's not met with like, ah, oh, shrug of the shatters, we'll go on. No, no, no. It is like in your soul there is something that is lit and all of a sudden the anger rises up and you're ready to destroy whatever it is that is threatening your baby boy or your baby girl. This is a sign of your love that true love will get angry. It's why it's so explosive. It was designed to seek and destroy whatever it is that's threatening that which you love. In its most purest form, anger is beautiful. But the problem is, is that we rarely ever see the beauty of anger because of our sins and the way that sin messes with our loves. There's an old church father, great theologian, his name is Augustine, and, or Augustine, and Augustine wrote this book called The Confessions. And in The Confessions, he speaks about something called inordinate affections. Now, when he writes about inordinate affections, what he's saying is this, is that there are a lot of good things in our lives that we love. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my job. I love my freedom. I love my church. I love my life. But the problem is, is because of sin, my loves are disordered. And so I take the good loves of my life and I make them ultimate. I make them ultimate. That I seek ultimate satisfaction and ultimate joy from them. And in that moment, that ultimate joy, that ultimate satisfaction is only something that I can get from God. It's the slippery slope that goes from loving our children to finding our identity in them. It's the insidious shift that we make in our lives from moving to enjoying blessings to making them idols. That when our loves get mixed up, when inordinate affection happens because of our sin, our anger goes haywire. So let me show you how this works by wading in to the, pol the political tension of our day. When it comes to politics, our lives should not be filled with indifference when it comes to politics. That Augustine, again, writing in another book, said this about politics, that politics is us figuring out how to love our neighbor well. In other words, politics is us trying to figure out how to leave the greatest commandment that our Savior Jesus ever gave to us. Love your neighbors as yourself. That's what politics is. Politics for believers should be a love. We should not be indifferent towards it. It's okay to feel angry from time to time. Listen, if you lean to the political right, part of the reason that you probably lean to the right is because you value, you have a love for this sanctity of human life, that you care deeply about the unborn. That's probably why, at least in part, you lean politically to the right. And what happened in this elect last election cycle has absolutely threatened that which you value, that which you love when it comes to the sanctity of human life. It is okay and right to feel angry in that moment. Consequently, 
If you lean to the political left, part of the reason that you live, lean on the political left is because you value social justice. Politically, as you've looked out at not just the last years, but the history of the United States, you've seen the racial inequality and it drives you mad. Like, like you get angry about it because it's a value of your life. It's okay to feel angry as you've watched the last couple of years unfold and the racial injustice that has surfaced in our country. It's okay for you to feel angry. And what I would actually argue is that when it comes to Christianity, if we're reading our Bibles, then when it comes to these two issues specifically, the value of human life, the sanctity of human life, and racial equality that we cannot choose. This is not politics for us, this is Bible. And when the Bible speaks, it says that we should hold racial reconciliation and racial equality high, and we should hold human, uh, uh, humans, uh, uh, the unborn high the sanctity of human life, high. That these are values that we hold. We cannot choose one or the other. We have to choose both as Christians. However, what cannot happen in our anger is what we have witnessed on the streets of our major cities this summer, and then what happened on the Capitol this last week. That is anger going haywire and becoming vengeance. And we as Christians, are to never cross the line of vengeance, that we are to never go there. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote these words, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What we have witnessed in this country is the disgusting act of idolatry when it comes to politics. Inordinate affections, where we have taken a good love and made it ultimate, seeking to gain our ultimate joy and our ultimate satisfaction from it. That collectively this nation is looking to politics for ultimate joy and satisfaction in a way that God can only give. And it has caused our anger as a nation to go haywire. And why politics is the easy punching bag, the reality is this goes much further than politics, doesn't it? Dads, it's why your anger isn't just directed at what your son is doing, but then finds its focus on him. That we could take this in so many ways. Anything good that we love, that we turn into an ultimate, is when our anger goes haywire. So the question is, is what do we do with it? What if we do when we find ourselves in that place with our anger? Well, Timothy Keller, a modern-day preacher and theologian, has written a lot about anger, and he gives us three steps to deal with our anger. We're just going to walk through all three of them. The first one is this, is that you need to identify your anger, that we must get to the source of our anger if we're ever going to understand the anger of our lives. It means that when we find anger starting to boil up in us, when we start to find that that emotion is rising up in us, that we need to pause and we need to ask the question, what is the big thing that's so important that I'm getting defensive about it? What is the thing that I love so much in my life that I feel it's being threatened? Now, more often than not, Tim Keller says, that when we ask that question, the answer is rather embarrassing. Because many, 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 many times, the thing that you're defending is your ego, your pride, 
your self-esteem. Let me give you a simple example that, of how this works, something that every single one of us has experienced at some point in our life. Let's say on this day that I've only planned just a short amount of time for lunch, just 15 minutes for lunch. In the planning of my schedule, that's all I have for lunch. And I have a hankering for a delicious chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, right? And so I know I only have 15 minutes, so I start to head to Chick-fil-A. And as I pull into the Chick-fil-A parking lot, I realize that in Chick-fil-A world, a drive-through means wrapping around the building 16 times. And so I have a decision to make. Can I make it through the drive-through in the limited time that I have? I decide that it's worth it, so I go in. They're pretty fast, they can make it happen. I'll get out of here in 15 minutes. But as I'm sitting in that line and as it's moving slower and slower, I find myself getting more and more angry, don't I, at the people in the drive-thru. Now pause. What's going on here in my life? What am I loving so much that my heart is moved in this moment to feel anger? Here it is. I didn't actually plan enough time in my day to get a delicious chicken sandwich, did I? If it only takes 10 minutes, then I'm good. I get out of there and all is good and I don't look like a fool. But the fact of the matter is, is I didn't plan enough time for a delicious chicken sandwich. And now I'm gonna be late at my next meeting, which means I'm gonna look like a fool because I didn't plan my day very well. And so now I'm mad at you. See, this is, this is just me protecting my ego. I didn't plan my day well. I'm just, I'm just protecting me, but I'm mad at you. Let's go a little bit deeper. Maybe one day you find yourself so angry at your spouse because they didn't pay the electric bill on time. But the reason that they didn't pay the electric bill is because you're living paycheck to paycheck because money management hasn't been a high priority for you in your life. And now that that bill's gonna be late, you're exposed and your ego is hurt. But listen, your pride won't let you go there, so you're taking your anger out on the one that you love. See, our pride is so insidious. And even when we look at our anger and we go, there's righteousness there, we just remember the words of Isaiah in the Old Testament who says all of our righteous deeds, all of them, are but dirty rags before God. That your pride, your ego, is in everything, and it's insidious. And when we come face to face with our ego, with our pride, we move to step number two, which is this, is that we feel sorrow for our sin. Listen, nothing is more ugly than opening the lids of our hearts and finding darkness hiding within. And as rancid as it might be, we can face sin with bold sorrow, that Jesus has paid the price of our inordinate affection, that he bore the wrath on the cross for our idolatry, the wrath that we deserved, freeing us ultimately, freeing us ultimately from sin's guilt. And so when anger starts to bubble in our lives and we begin to ask the question and we see that at the root of our anger is pride and sin, we're moved to sorrow and we're rightfully sad we're sad that we can find ourselves so bent out of shape trying to protect our ego and our pride. That we're so quick to take a fist at the rude media more than we are to lift those same hands 
to help, help someone in need. That internally, we mock those who we disagree with, and yet so very rarely lift our voices to help the voiceless. The sadness that seeps to the depths of our soul, and we are grieved into repentance. And in those moments of repentance, I remember that one day, I was actually an enemy of God. And that's when we move to step number three, where we remember the love of Jesus in our lives. See, we have Bible verses all over scripture that talk about the wrath of God. And if we were pausing and just asking the question about God's anger, we would have to ask the question, who does God or what does God love most? And the answer is you. And what threatens that thing, you, who he loves most? The answer, your sin. So what did God do in his anger? He came into this world with mercy and gentleness and kindness, not to condemn the world, but to save it, to save it. Ultimately, he, he suffers by going to the cross, targeting all of his explosiveness in his anger at himself on the cross, where he becomes sin for us, and in doing so, destroys the power of sin in our lives, freeing us to live with him as our ultimate love. See, not a single one of us can take our good loves and start loving them rightly. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus to show us the way. And because Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, giving us hope over our inordinate affection, we can make him ultimate in our lives where we love him more than anything. And when we begin to understand that, then when your anger begins to burn against someone or something in this world, you meet them the same way that Christ met you, in gentleness, in kindness, with mercy and grace. As Jesus said, you love your enemy. See, the answer to your angerness is not apathy, it's not disinterest, nor is it walking to the other side and, and blowing your top in hot temperedness. The Bible says that what you do with your anger is that you move to the middle, that you are slow to anger, loving that which you are most angry with. Meeting the person or the thing that you have anger towards with nothing but love. Throughout all of this series, we've asked one of our prayer people to come up and to pray for our congregation. And so I want to invite Justin McDonald out here. He's a part of our prayer team. He's also on our church council, which is the directional board for the church. Over our church today when, in regards to anger. And so if you're here, I'm just going to have you raise your hand. If you're online, you can just hit the heart. But if in this last year you've, you've felt the anger rage inside you, if today you have something or someone that you're angry with and, and you don't know what to do with it, would you just raise your hand right now? We want to pray for you. Just raise it up. All right. Justin, let's pray. Holy Lord, we come to you with thanksgiving. 
We're so appreciative for the teachings you have in your word on emotions. I'm so grateful for the pastoral staff that puts together these teachings to answer these hard topics on ugly emotions, emotions that can be ugly and how we apply them. And just, I'm grateful that we can attack issues without shame and blame and that we spread compassion. We give you gratitude for the hard lessons and that sometimes the hard lesson we get to redo Maybe it's every time we see something on our feed or just every time we hear a specific ringtone or we wake up in the morning. Whatever level that is, that we pray abundance and peace over everyone in need of it. And that we receive the lessons that we learn in abundance and peace just as much as we receive the hard lessons. And with all of it, we give you glory and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin. We come to the table of communion every week because this is our hope. That in our sin, in our most ugly space, we're reminded that, that Jesus' body was broken for us. For our hope. That when God looked down on this world, angry at sin, he sent his son to die in order to take care of it. And so when Jesus with his disciples, he, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this, this is redemption. This is forgiveness of your sins. And so today, as we deal with the emotions that sometimes turn evil in our lives, we remember that this is where our hope is, that this is our life, this is our forgiveness. And so we remember today by eating the bread and by drinking the cup together. As we continue on in our worship, if, if you're here today and you need prayer here at Thornton, you can just go towards the left anytime during the music and we all have people ready to pray for you. If you're online, you can just push the button. We have people ready to pray for you there as well. I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and stand as we move in our worship towards song. And today in our worship time of, through music, we're gonna start uh, with a Crossroads original, one that we've written. And so we wanna to minister to you today through music. And so if you find yourself in a place of despair, if you find yourself in a place today going, I don't know what to do and the world looks so dark around me, that this song we pray would speak to you of the hope of Jesus.